1: I'm Alan Hart, and this is
0: Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Terry Haley. He's the Chief Marketing Officer and Head of Product for Pampered Chef. Pampered Chef was founded in 1980 by Doris Christopher and is now part of the Berkshire Hathaway family of businesses. And they sell high-quality kitchen tools, and they do that through a number of direct sales consultants. Their distribution is primarily through those in-home cooking demonstrations or virtual demonstrations that we'll talk about. Over 1 million are held in the United States each year, and they have somewhere around 500 offerings with 90% of those products being exclusive to Pampered Chef. So on the show today, Terry and I talk about his path to marketing. Not an easy or uh, expected place for him to go. We talk about his career early on at places like Miller Brewing Company with brands like Henry Weinhard's, Miller Genuine Draft, and many others. has switched to food and restaurants Met Payway, which was a part of P.F. Chang's, and much, much more. We'll talk about also their direct sales model at Pampered Chef and how that changes the calculus of marketing. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with my friend, Terry Haley. So Terry, would you introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Terry Haley, CMO at Pampered Chef.
0: Terry, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thanks, Al. It's good to hear from you.
0: Yeah, no, it's always fun to talk to you. It's been a while. and
1: uh, Too long, too long.
0: I know. One of these things I found out about you, though, is I should apparently never challenge you to a middle distance race (laughs) or a (laughs) cook-off. So what's that about?
1: You may not have wanted to challenge me about 20 some years ago. (laughs) Uh, No, no. those. uh, So yeah, I was a a runner, a track athlete Mm. all the way through college. And then cooking is another thing that's just become an important part of my life. So running is certainly not where it used to be uh, with age. And I I definitely don't race anymore because it it makes me realize my age, but i guess athletics in general now and cooking are kind of my two big hobbies outside of family and work and mm-hmm. i think they're my therapy too you know i uh, could uh, they both kind of give me those some quick wins throughout the week you know get a workout <laughs> in or get a get a game of, of basketball going and i feel like i accomplished something regardless of the day and then you know cooking uh, which definitely has played itself out in this current role of just a, a passion of mine linking to what I, I get to get up and, and do at work every day. But I just, I really enjoy it. My wife is by far the better of the two of us, but <laughs> I, uh, I, I I'm kind of the weekend warrior cook. It's just you know, getting in the kitchen for kind of a big cook, uh, or a big, uh, in the summer, some serious grilling time. It just kind of helps me you know get my head right. And then also it's just, it's fun to put, a good meal on the table for whoever's uh, whoever's enjoying it it makes it's kind of another win for the day so you know little wins go a long way
0: yeah no i i've actually we just did a kitchen renovation in my house and just finished in the last week or two nice. and uh, i was able to make dinner last night uh, or not last night the night before sunday night i guess for my family as well nothing too fancy i have got this like emerald pasta dish that everyone loves Ooh, love so, it yeah just shoot me the recipe I, I will.
1: Looking, I, love, I love the, the carb centric <laughs> meals. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of those.
0: It's super easy, too. It's only about two ish pots, and then you're good to go. So,
1: well, after this, we'll talk about Pampered Chef <laughs> together. <and laughs> I love it. Did you give you a side hustle?
0: Well, speak. I know. I know. Speaking of cooking, so you are the CMO of Pampered Chef. Tell us a little bit of like your journey. Like, how, where did you get started and, and how'd you end up at Pampered Chef?
1: Well, you know, Alan, it's it's kind of an interesting journey for me. I I actually all the way through through college and marketing and, and, and business wasn't really where I was focusing. I was actually a, a political science student with also uh, you know, double majored in, in PR. But I, I had all the aspirations to to go out to your neck of the woods in DC and work on yeah. the Hill. And but I got injured. Uh, one season running. So I had to red shirt and my scholarship rolled over. So I went into straight into graduate school. And it was just the, the summer between my two years of graduate school. I had to to go make some money had to pay the bills. The scholarship was gone. <laughs> and the, it's kind of funny, it, it's fortuitous um, in that I was interviewing my internships and I was actually in a final interview for a financial firm in Milwaukee. And it was going to be the international test. It was the, it was the swing shift. Oh, wow. So I was really excited at the age of what 2021 20, to be spending all my nights working late <laughs> into the morning. And then to date myself, I was in the library and I was on job track. If you remember, uh, oh, yeah. actually having to go to the library to access a computer and, and, and I'm sure job track is long gone by now. But I, I was researching a job and. There is a, a job at AC Nielsen, if you, if you know the, I'm sure you know the, uh, yeah, the AC Nielsen mm-hmm. analytics company. And so I took an interview and it turned out it was an on-site gig at Miller Brewing Company, being a, a retail and, and consumer panel analyst. And how close it was for me not to go into marketing and into finance is, so I took the interview and the gentleman, Dan Zillis, great guy, he, uh, he offered me the role right away. And I said, well, Dan, I have this other job that I, I want to just follow through to the end and, and then I'll make a decision. He's, he said that was fine. And then it must have been 30 minutes later, he called me and I thought he was going to retract. So I just took, I just took the job. I didn't even, uh, I didn't even, but I'm like, he's like, I was just trying to get your email address so I could send you the information, but that's great. Join up. So, but that was the start actually, because I, uh, I just. Getting to service a service category management team and the and brand team, and mm. through that exposure, I just fell in love with it. And so, uh, I that kind of led to I guess fortuitous moment part number two, <laughs> which I was uh, working towards the end of the internship, and, and now graduate school was, was coming to a close. So I was looking for the full time next moment, and and actually no, I'd stopped being an intern. I think I was working time there at Nielsen, while I finished grad school. But long story, I, I, I decided I, I wanted to get into uh, brand management and marketing. So I had some uh, my clients, particularly a guy named Tim McDougall, uh, was running the Miller Lite brand. And then I, a gentleman in the insights group who was leading that referred me down to HR to talk about a brand role. And so I went in there and I don't think we got more than a, a couple minutes in. And he told me I went to the wrong Graduate school because they didn't recruit there, <laughs> and and so and I was like, wait, my graduate school's three miles away. That's pretty convenient. Be a good. Right. And he's just like, no, we recruit there, and that's where we draw our candidates. And so I went back to to Tim, and, and I conveyed my disappointment, but turned it. Uh, I talked to him, and I said, hey, I I still really want to do this. I'm passionate about it, and. So how about I'll stay at AC Nielsen because I loved it. I love the team. I love the job. I love the work we were doing. And I was, just, was learning a great deal. And uh, I said, but while I'm doing that, would you make sure I I stay on, as, you stay as my client? Mm-hmm. And, and would you teach me? And then as the, bring me into other meetings just so I can start soaking in a broader understanding. And when the opportunity arises, I'd love another shot at it. And he agreed. But he told mm-hmm. me, he's like, yeah, it'll probably be a couple of years. And it was, it was like eight months later, there was a job for uh, this brand in the Northwest called Henry Weinhard's that had really struggled due to, you know, it had been sold to Miller Brewing Company at brewery in the Northwest and closed down. So the and authenticity of places is big in craft brewing and particularly up there, which was, yeah. the me- it was the mecca of craft brewing at the time. And so I, uh, no one, it had gone through pretty precipitous declines, so I don't think anyone was lining up. <laughs> but it was my way in and it was it was the great in the fortuitous side of it, it was just a tremendous opportunity I had a an amazing boss a, a gentleman named Jake Lletta who still I, I hold dear to me in my heart today and, and still consider an advisor and then it was just one of those jobs where it was a small business that had been declining and, and there wasn't a lot of focus on it so I got to you know instead of getting a associate role on a a brand where you're just doing a small piece, I got to essentially manage the entirety of the business. And 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 we managed as a team to do some some pretty good things with that business. And that kind of set set the case off in Miller is um, I started kind of getting assignments of, of brands that you know either had fewer resources or were kind of fixer challenges that and progressed through Miller brewing. And, and it was just the, the perfect start to my career because I it just built a you know that strong kind of CPG branding with tremendous teachers, tremendous teammates. Um, and so I was there for about six or seven years, I think. And then I went into the restaurant business industry for about, it was 12 years-ish. And then after that, I moved on to uh, the latest role, which is Pampered Chef. And that's been about Three and a half years and total different industry, different product, but it's been just a, it's been a great ride so far.
0: Yeah. Well, still connected to food.
1: <laughs> yeah. Food, food food, and alcohol tend to like just <laughs> are the golden thread of my career so far, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, I love it. I love how you, you basically work the system to to find your way into Miller.
1: Uh, I guess it was more tenacity. Well, a little luck and some tenacity. Definitely. Uh, But, you know, it also was just relationships. And I think, um, you know, if there's one thing I've learned throughout it, the relationships that you you build and the mentors that you establish, the trust uh, you create um, goes a long way.
0: Well, I love it. It seems like you've worked the system, one, to get into Miller through AC Nielsen, kind of a backdoor approach there. And then to your point around Henry Weingart's Weinhards. No one was volunteering for that role. And it seemed like a pretty challenging role, but it gave you a lot of breadth. You know, you got to see the whole picture, so to speak. Have you been, I don't know, taking on those challenging roles every time? I mean, it, they're a great learning opportunity.
1: If you Yeah. Have. Well, I mean, at first, I don't know if I, I, know if I worked the system versus had some luck <laughs> and some tenacity, I guess, to go with it. But yeah. I think the bigger thing was just, you know, the importance of relationships yeah I've learned one thing you know it's the the mentors that you establish the trust you create the people you surround yourself with goes just certainly goes a long way and that's and and those people have carried with me the entire time now on the the henry side in 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 i think every role's a challenge you know yeah. think, um, it's just what is uh what is the challenge that you have right. to solve. I don't know if I've had an easy one yet, but I guess that's what makes it makes it fun, but I think yeah, I mean, I think Henry's and then a lot of the roles after were particularly at, at Miller. But then you know, when I went into some the roles, uh, initial in restaurants, there was a lot of building. When restaurants, first of all, payway, there really wasn't a marketing, as well as an established marketing discipline. And so getting to build that from the ground up was, was certainly both a challenge and but at the same time, A lot of you know, just a lot of opportunity to kind of build something, what you learn, but also the vision you want to want to lay out, and 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 really (laughs) nowhere to go but up. In in some ways, but I thought it was a lot of those types of roles have I guess gravitated towards me more than maybe I gravitated there. But just taking the opportunity as it comes is again, I think some of it's just some of it's luck and some of it's skill. I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you've, you've ended up, we talked about food and and alcohol, like you've worked across a number of different business models too, like beer, restaurants, now direct selling organization. How do you like, how do you bridge across all those type different types of models with marketing?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think, Alan, the the foundations stay the same in a lot of ways, regardless of challenge, right? Relentless focus on the consumer, their needs. Delivering a product that's, that solves a problem and then being able to position that that product in their minds is uh, something that's relevant that they're going to want to essentially gravitate to and, and, and build a relationship with is kind of a constant, right? But the different models, I think actually it's just going in eyes wide open and, and really appreciating the nuances of the model. I mm-hmm. think if one thing I've learned across the various elements was the importance of not rushing in with what you believe to be true necessarily about how things are going to work, but rather taking the time to really learn how the entire machine works, um, and you know, how you go to market because they each, you know, each of these industries in general have very different routes. And I thought, you know, for example, at restaurants, I remember the two of the three roles I, I spent the first month in the restaurant itself doing all the jobs. Because that's where the rubber meets the road in terms of the actual experience with the customer itself. But at the same point, understanding as you're building your marketing activation, be it culinary innovation or, uh, or even a, a, even down to just a simple promotion, to understand the impact it has on the restaurant itself, and the operators right. of their restaurant and the staff, because you can easily come up with what you think is a great idea that's actually going to gum up the works and create a bad experience both for your teammates as well as for the, the, the customer. I remember uh, at Payway in particular, we'd just built our own online ordering um, platform, mm-hmm. and you know we'd started really looking to grow our off-premise business, and so we'd started running, particularly on days where we knew there would be big to-go business. You know, and this is not. Yeah. Uh, this is not like we thought of this on our own. <laughs> right. But we, we finally unearthed the capability of writing a promotional code, you know, distributing it and getting, and we'd see massive lifts in traffic. And I remember uh, one of our regional vice presidents who was in the uh, based in, in Phoenix with us, he came into my office and said, you have no idea what this is doing to, to my operation hmm. in terms of the amount of traffic that was hitting and the experience that it was creating. And so I remember talking, I said, you know, that's a great point. I don't. And so I'll strike a deal that every one of these promotions we do, particularly the larger ones, mm-hmm. every one of on the marketing team is going to work for register, either at lunch or dinner on the first day of the promotion, just so huh. we can feel it. Yeah. And then I could have a conversation with them about, okay, now I understand what you're talking about. Let's talk this through. And I think, you know, you get into Pampered Chef and this is the most unique model or industry I've ever worked with being in, in direct selling and, and marketing through tens of thousands of consultants in the North America and the EU and, and really understanding how it works. Because And I, I realized really quick that, again, where the fundamentals, where a lot of them are the same, my predisposition on what the go-to-market approach would be, I, it's like, I got to throw out 70% of the playbook here and start rebuilding <laughs> it because it's a really different... But I think the benefit of jumping industries is Uh, or moving across industries is the amount of learning you Mm -hmm. get, you know, because not only are you within the marketing discipline itself, are you having to stretch yourself and learn different ways ultimately to reach your end user in an effective manner, but you also, depending on the role, you touch so many different aspects of business. So I I found that it's really helped me become just more well-rounded as a a business person and a a teammate in general.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you're also like, you're coming at this new model or industry as with fresh eyes as well, with learning and developing yourself, but also taking a fresh approach potentially for that industry, or at least with fresh eyes.
1: Yeah, no, I've I've heard some of, you know, even some of that when we were going through the hiring process for Pampered Chef, that that was a desire. But I think ultimately, it wasn't one of my best traits earlier on in my career, but got to go in with a pretty heavy dose of humility. And so <laughs> the advantage or the I guess one of the benefits, you know, I could bring to Pamper Chef for fresh eyes. But I'm also very lucky to have good great partners and colleagues that are probably one well, patient with me and open. But two, yeah. it's really important that I'm also malleable myself. Yeah. And willing and, and really open to learning from them because they know what I don't. And mm-hmm. so that that partnership and kind of two-way allows us to hopefully untap the value of the collective versus the individual. I love
0: that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: Well, we've been talking around Pampered Chef. Let's talk about Pampered Chef. <laughs> tell, yeah, us a little, yeah. tell, tell me a little bit more about the business, like the scope of it. I know it's, it's, it's part of the Berkshire Group. Yeah. Uh, so, tell me a little bit more about it, though.
1: Yeah, so you know, Pampered Chef's an over forty-year-old company, and it was it was founded by an amazing woman named Doris Christopher out of her kitchen, and she, uh, she was looking to make some income within kind of the aligned with her passion, but also within the, the confines of her life and and how busy it was, and, and tremendous business mind, and just tremendous person and. And she built pampered chef from the ground up, but ultimately so she built this amazing company that you know delivers not just top-end kitchen tools and that really help you know, simplify the mealtime journey for people who really want they want to they're caregivers, they want to be in the kitchen. they want to provide mm-hmm. meal on the table for their families, but you know, particularly modern times, you, know, the modern caregivers. A lot different than right decades ago where you're i mean they're superheroes in my mind in terms of what try to do that role and you'd say your (laughs) job's the easiest job in the world but you know they're shuffling everything but their job as well uh, you Mm -hmm. know a career themselves as a new uh, a parent myself the ungodly amount of soccer and dance practices (laughs) and things that you're trying to schedule just getting Dinner on the table's feet. And, and Doris believed more than just mealtime as sustenance, but as kind of a key part of the fabric of, of the family uh, and in and, and kind of your close community. And, you know, how mealtime gathering around the table, be it real or metaphorically, how important that is where the family reconnects and it's kind of that haven and where all the most of those important discussions, memories are discussed, created even just the thought of what it does, mental health family, it's just such an important piece. And that resonated with me when I was looking at it because we always had dinner time as a family at 6, 6.30 every day. And mm-hmm. my wife and I now, it's probably more 7, 7.30, but we're really committed to doing that as well. And so the brand, in addition to just selling the tools for mealtime, we also we try to cultivate mealtime as an end. And we do that through just, These tremendous consultants that we have that are really a real competitive advantage in my mind because they not only not only be selling kitchen tools, but they're demonstrating the usage, but they're also providing the kitchen hacks, the various the tools outside of the product to really help people build confidence in the kitchen and be able to, Mm -hmm. to simplify that mealtime journey in order to reach the end destination, which is that time with your family. And so, my role at Pampered Chef is, you know, as CMO, is both to lead the the marketing function as well as the, uh, the product function from, uh, you know, product management to, to ultimate product innovation and development. And so it's a really, it's a really fun role in that capacity of of kind of getting to oversee both of those pieces of the business and build that connection. And then, you know, obviously work with what I I believe is just a great team to bring it up, bring it to our consultants. And help yeah. them succeed, and I think that's the other really great part of, of Pamper Chef is really our our top consumer, which is our consultants. And you yeah. know, while you're enriching, while the product and the mealtime, we're enriching lives for families. Hopefully, we're also enriching the lives of consultants. And I'll, I'll tell you, on the the it's it's one of the more fulfilling parts of the role is getting to meet what are just remarkable people uh, right. that and the stories of what they've drawn from their experience with pampered chef and with their fellow consultants and, and pampered chef family is it can be extraordinarily moving. A lot of, I can't tell you how many times I've choked up to testimonials. Um, it's just, a, it's a given, they show a testimonial and the tears start. Um, yeah. But at the same point, it, it's really rewarding. And it, it kind of, it gives you a, it kind of gives you that extra reason to get up in the morning and, and get after it.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it is a, quite a unique, channel and sale, you know, go to market channel and sales channel. Uh, How do you think about like maximizing that channel, so to speak? I mean, their stories are powerful, like you said, um, but they're also your pro users as well as sales force, if you will.
1: Well, and there are, there are marketers.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: And I think that is one of the, I think the hardest transitions as a market is the, you know, when you're, in, in most, most other industries, you're going direct to your consumer with your messaging. You know, you've got your ad budget, you've got your various elements, you're optimizing it, you're targeting, and you're, you have a lot more control of the narrative directly to the customer. And so, but through in this model, you're advertising, you know, by and large, and your communications channel, by and large, are your consultants. And so it's really, you're marketing through people versus necessarily through paid. Um, and it, so the, one of the, 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 great parts of it is you know, if you think about it, you've got about tens of thousands of influencers out there that aren't even, it's, it's a next level influencer because it's not just a partnership you created. It's a, these are just passionate lovers of brand and the community. And so that's amazing. And, and the benefit of it, or I think when it really works is it's not your consultants just forwarding on. The, the assets and content you create, it's when they're creating is their own authentic story and their authentic testimonial. the way they share things is what really pulls consumers in. And so the the challenge that comes with it is how do you steer that, that product group, right. So you have consistency and impact while not diluting the authenticity of the individuals that are selling uh, and marketing your brand. And so, it's a lot more of steering and influencing and driving a direction, getting buy-in and a belief and in training and educating mm-hmm. um, but ultimately they it's it's their call, and so they they it's really important that you're building that relationship and you're listening to your consultants and you're partnering with your consultants versus just telling your consultants right um, and I think when i when I interviewed for the role, I think one of the bigger I guess selling points or draws to to me was uh, I'd had time in franchising in restaurants. Yeah. yeah. And where it's different, it's somewhat similar in that you have people who bought into your business, right. Mm And franchising, they're not, they're not employees, they're partners. Mm -hmm. And so you got to think of them that way because you have to value that, that relationship with your franchisee or with your consultant and that they're choosing to invest in the brand and the, that you're propagating. and so. I think the it's it's a challenge, but it's it's a fun one in that regard. And but it definitely it requires different muscles. And as I said earlier, it requires a whole lot of humility because you know as marketers you want to you want to control the story, you want to control right. the narrative. This is <laughs> this is my baby, and you have to relinquish some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, not obviously to a point where you feel it's, it's it's hurting the brand or hurting the brand or creating diffuse messaging or anything to that extent. But there is a trust relationship and you have to really lead through influence a lot more than perhaps you do in other areas because you just don't, you don't control everything. And so definitely requires different tools in the toolkit.
0: Nice. Well, I mean, how we've just gone through, and I guess we're still going through, but coming out the other end of a pandemic, and I imagine there was a big push to digital in some <laughs> form or fashion during oh, yeah. that time. So how, how have you, you kind of navigated that shift, if you will, as a, as a company and a, as a sales force?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we went 100% digital overnight. Uh, and so it, I think navigating it, I think, one, we were fortunate to have people well before me at Pampered Chef and people still there, but on the team that had the foresight to get us in there. Mm. Um and so I think we were 40, 50 percent digital virtual in terms of the parties right. uh that we were we were running. And so Pampered Chef is a party model. So you you have a host and they invite their friends and you 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 that's essentially the 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 store coming to life and then they shop the store, but you have to have parties and you have to have a place to have the party. So the virtual channel was one that was was growing for us already, but certainly. It was turbocharged with the (laughs) pandemic. And so, but I think that change for us, one, it was actually a, the environment lent itself very well for the change because that time was actually an advantage for us because of our model. I think, you know, you had Mm -hmm. one, people couldn't go out shopping.
0: Right. Right. That's
1: true. Everyone was cooking from home. Yes. Um, I mean, you saw the sourdough bread dough making that. I think there's probably never been as much sour bread made in a two-year period outside of San Francisco. And so you had people inherently wanting to be at home, and, and we could service that. And so that was a, a really, there was, there was some serious rocket fuel for the business when it happened. And so that eased the transition. But I think we certainly had to quickly and continuously now bone up our digital and virtual experiences to keep up with that transition. So now that we've come out of the pandemic, we've, we've begun to go back to some, some live engagements, but the business is still, and I believe will largely remain uh, predominantly virtual. And so the challenge becomes, how do you create an experience virtually that matches, brings some of the benefits of the live demonstration, the live interaction and, and engagement with the customer? Mm-hmm. And how do you provide essentially return on engagement to the customer for giving you their time in the party. Right. And yeah. there's a whole different list of skills for your consultants that have to be mastered. You know, they have to, you know, it's not just running a party on virtual, but it's creating an experience on virtual, your own video content, being able to engage in these channels. How do you find and and convert leads when you're not face to face? And so there definitely has been a lot of work that had been done on that. And so You know, we've done a lot of things beyond, you know, over the last few years to really set ourselves up for future success. I think one of the biggest things the company did, and it was run by a guy named Shiv Dutt, who's an extraordinarily smart man. We created our own platform uh, called Table, and it's our own virtual online platform. So, you know, initial virtual was mostly, was entirely done through social networks. Right. You give up a lot of control in terms of even the experience you can create has to adhere to obviously the rules of engagement in that particular network. And we wanted to create something that really would allow, um, that That brought some of the benefits, some of the mechanics of those networks so that consultants could easily transition over, but allow a lot more control in terms of the experience we create, both our ability to support our consultants through you know, creating, virtual outlines and content and things that they could much more easily share, but also enable them to create and scale content themselves so that the, the effort that they're having to put into each individual party is more focused on the engagement within the party versus just running it itself. Interesting. And so that's been a really good move, for the company, but we continuously have to look at and it's a concerted effort for us is, you know, Creating the experience that's worthwhile for the customer, and that essentially it's not just a push experience, but there is a level of pull, you know, because ultimately you want someone attending one of these parties, and it's not just I bought a product, but I learned something. I created, I, I got value. I'm a better, I'm better in the kitchen for it being attended. And, you know, you just have to, it's, it's, it's a little more difficult to do at scale in a virtual environment and to be able to essentially build up the skill set of. Uh, particularly new consultants coming into the business uh, to be able to quickly do that. And so that's, you know, obviously a key point of emphasis. It's been one for us for the last couple of years and continues to be one.
0: Got it. Well, and as we come out of the pandemic, it's, it feels like one, all these tools that you've built during will obviously make you stronger and and support a better ecosystem of experience in virtual. Are you also trying to get back to the physical parties themselves and, and homes and, and things like that?
1: Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's organically happening to some yeah. extent. You know, you have a lot of consultants who just love you know, the, the, the live yeah, <laughs> yeah, the live experience isn't always, you know, just the customer. I think a lot of our consultants find a lot of joy in it as well. Yeah. So it's organically started growing. I think ultimately I think there's a degree of just meeting consumers where they are, mm-hmm. right? So I think All in one or the other is probably not necessarily the best solution because to your point, you do have people now who they don't, they're virtual about, they've done so many virtual experiences over the last three years, there's just virtue in getting in a room with people and it's fun. And so I think it's good to build that skill set. And for some consultants though, that's now a new skill that we have, we would have to build up because a lot of consultants joined the last, well, anyone who's joined over the last couple of years is only known virtual. So now it's almost the complete inverse to what it was, right? right? We had to teach them because now it's like, you got to build the consultant confidence of what it's to go into someone's home and actually do a cooking show and demonstrate in in that environment. So, but I think a balance is good. I think even the the opportunity even to, to blend the two and, you know, through some sort of hybrid experience where you know, you have the live, but you can then get, increase the reach of a given mm-hmm. party through digital yep. is an interesting proposition as well. But I think you're remiss to not, you know, adjust to and ultimately provide the offering so that you're, you're meeting the consumer for what they're looking for, not just for what you want them to experience, but also thinking about how do they want to experience your brand and being, being accessible in that capacity.
0: Well, more things to come, I'm sure. It it sounds like a, a fascinating business and one that you've yet again mastered. The <laughs> uh, ma- mastery
1: is not even close. I tell you all the time. Like I still feel we're about we're a little over three, almost three and a half years in, and I would say I'm still on a learning curve, which I like actually. You know, I wouldn't. Why wouldn't you want it that way? Right. Um, right. It makes it so much more stimulating that you you're always growing as a, a person, as a marketer within whatever role you take. And anyone who I onboard, I just tell them, check what you know at the door and immerse. You know, your 90 days is you you really got to give yourself up to understanding the nuances of this model because mm. it is heavily nuanced and you won't learn it in 90 days, but you, you got to get there and then you got to keep yeah. keep delving in because it's a really, it's a fun model, but it's one that, you know, it's it, it, it's definitely not like there's a, a book for dummies out there that you get to read and, <laughs> you know, figure out it's, you kind of got to jump in and you just got to really, you know, the great thing is, you know, this company, it's just fascinating at be chef that there's people that have been there for decades and they're, and, and those are the people who just, it's really worth tapping into as well as the consultants that have been there for a long time. because. You know, you got to be willing to challenge and look at it differently, but there's so much knowledge yeah. there that you'd be, uh, I think, foolish not to, to tap into it and, and to let yourself be malleable to your approach.
0: Love it. Well, you know, one of the things we like to do on this show is also get to know you a little bit better. <laughs> and uh, my favorite question to ask everyone that comes on is, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are
1: today? Oh. That's a, that's a good one. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, wow, there's, there's, there's so many, you know, one, one, one that comes to mind for me was it is a professional experience. Um, was when I was at, at Miller and I was, was running the Miller genuine draft franchise and we were doing, uh, a full relaunch of brand. So it was, it was really uh, challenging and, 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 fun um, assignment. Yeah. But, you know, as a part of it, we had uh, we partnered with this with this new agency uh, that had been we've been referred from the top, and I remember their pitch. Their their central pitch was, or their uh, approach was, finding partnerships in the entertainment circle that matched the equities and purpose of your brand and forging a relationship. And you know, it was almost influencer esque right. before Instagram and social and kind of a huge growth of kind of influencer marketing and and. Uh, I bought what they were selling pretty heavily, and uh, and it was funny because I remember a mentor of mine said hey, he said, "Watch out for this one a little bit." And I said, "Why do I watch out?" He said, "Well, I understand where the motivation is. Mm. It, it probably ties more to the kind of monetizing the relationship long term versus necessarily just the brand itself." And I was like, "Ah, thank you, but I, I still I'm going to go with this thing." <laughs> right. And so we we partnered with we, we partnered with this. I guess, celebrity or influencer. In, and we'd done a ton of work on it. Cross functional team. I mean, literally you know, tens, tw- 20s of people were worked on it. And we, but it just, it kind of paid out like he had told me it was. And it just ultimately wasn't working. And so um, I remember pulling, we had this, so I was going to pull the plug. I finally reassessed and was like, you know, the juice isn't worth the squeeze on, on what we're doing. We're doing here and so we're going to we're going to pull out and so I uh I scheduled the meeting and it was in the basement of the basement conference room of Miller which was the cat, <laughs> like the catacombs of Miller and so that was depressing even the setting was depressing right. but we pulled in like 20 to 30 people and these were people I had a ton of respect for worked their rear ends off on it and you know they're all levels people senior to me and and I think I was like 27 28 years old, so it's pretty early in my, my career. And called them all in, and just uh, I said, "Listen, uh, this isn't working." And I know everyone's put so much effort into it, but I'm, I think it's time to pull the plug. And and you know, here's how I think we can do it. And I'd love some ideas. But I just remember after the meeting, just feeling, <laughs> just feeling terrible. Uh, that's, the,
0: that's the worst kind of meeting. <laughs> you know,
1: just brutal. And and I knew also that some people. People had questioned it as well. So it's right. a little bit of humble pie for me. Yeah. And so I remember going back up to my office and just, <laughs> just kind of sulking uh, <laughs> in, the, in the office. And this uh, one of my colleagues came up and she was the, I think she was a director of like in, in the finance group, she was director of marketing contracts and, and relationships and other elements. Very, very tough, tough woman. She had to be. I mean, that's why she was great in her role. She was. But I, she, of course, probably had a divorce because I think it was one of the hardest and painful contracts she'd ever had to negotiate. Not, <laughs> I remember knowing it was not fun for her. Yeah. And so she knocked on the door and I kind of, I just looked up at her and, and she said, uh, she kind of talked to me. And I said, yeah. And she said, you know, I, I just want to let you know I'm proud of you. And I said, <laughs> I said, what? Uh, and she just said, <laughs> she just said, you know, I, I've known a lot of people senior to you or a lot more tenure that have been more willing to spend 10 million bucks more to not have had the meeting you just had. Mm. And, and so she said, good for you for, for kind of owning it. And and I think the learning, and it's not a new learning, right. That accountability and adversity are often where you build the most credibility. Right. Um, But for me, it was the actual experience of going through it and then having, I guess that point of, of validation, it just reaffirmed to me the importance of, you know, it's, you don't really become a leader through the wins you you get or your team gets. It's it is those moments of how you deal with the adversity you face, the bad decisions you make, how you own them, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 how you try to lead out of them. I think that that ultimately builds the trust and credibility with your with your peers and your team. And now I'd love to say that 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 moment in time, I just so the, this. The, I got all the dose of humility and the, the light switched and I was there, but I still had a long way to go and learn, but I've referenced back on that moment a lot. And actually I share that moment a lot with my teams. Yeah. I have no problem with that. Cause so I think in marketing, you have to be willing to make mistakes, right? You have to right. push, you have to push it, but you also have to own it and know when to walk away. And I think, And then what did you learn from it, right? And how do you get better? And how do you openly get your team better through, I guess, the mistake you've made? And so not only, I guess, is an experience for me, but it's become, I guess, a teachable asset in my repertoire um, (laughs) to kind of help other people uh, understand the virtue of it.
0: No, I love that story. And I mean, what a great, to your point, a great opportunity and lesson all built into one. And yeah, it definitely sounds like it's something that you circle back to quite a bit for teaching others, reminding, remind yeah. you, reminding yourself.
1: Yeah, and and there's a you know there's a whole slew of mistakes, so I could draw from a lot of them. That one, uh, that,
0: <laughs> that, one, was one that, yeah. that one
1: was poignant. That one was poignant. That one is. And if you, if you ask people at Miller, they, I guarantee you, they know it and they know the story and i think i still get crap for it uh if i see when i you know now that i'm back in chicago i still run into some old friends from there quite a bit and and i think it's 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 not surprising when that might come up in a little, uh, a, little a little a little good rib, a little good ribbing um so uh they they definitely don't let me forget it either
0: i love it love it Well, what advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this journey all over again
1: um Patience is something that I would have liked to have harbored more earlier in my career. I think, you know, at the same point one of the areas that I think helped me get to where I was is, and, and I think people, you know, some people, I, initially, I, 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 you know, in order to, to take these assignments and to drive them forward and you didn't have a lot of necessarily as much organizational focus, nor should you have, there's kind of a, a tenacity that you have to have. Right. And. I guess you can be a little bit of a bull in the China shop and just kind of really drive your idea through. Mm -hmm. But I think later on in my career, I had to you learn as you move up that that's not as you maybe not have built all of the diplomacy and the the partnership that you need to. So for me, a lot of it was, you know, you have the big idea and you want it to come fruition and you didn't, I, I don't know if I would always let conversation breathe and let people engage even if it's taking my initial, the initial vision I had in a different path. And so I, I think earlier in my career, I'd probably be more inclined to shut it down and say, no, this is where we got to go. Almost at the sacrifice of buy-in and at the ability to build on the idea and make you know, an idea better. And you know, I, I think over time, I learned that you know, if you let it breathe, you get, the upside is you, you get more buy-in. Oftentimes, your idea gets better. right Or you catch something that wasn't good uh, and you can correct it. But oftentimes it also just comes full circle, right? It's you let it yeah. breathe, and it starts steering itself back into the direction either you hoped it would or that it ultimately should have gone. Yeah. And so I think just but at the same point, you're building a better partnership within the your your organization and team. And I think it's a muscle I would have liked to have built earlier. And I'm actually keen on that today with when I see my younger self. <laughs> within within the organizations I work with, I really do try to to identify and, and try to help people who are in the in, in you know in similar of situations or a similar bent that I might have had at that point. Mm-hmm. Because I i want them to not run into the doors that I ran into later as I tried to right. kind of pivot myself. Yeah. So I had a the same mentor that, that that helped me with um who advised me on on example i gave earlier he and i were very similar people and i remember and we built a super strong relationship based on that i think he saw a little bit of a younger version of himself me and he told me that uh one of the things he enjoyed most about working together was he literally could see me walking into the door (laughs) he walked into and he's like he just found a lot of enjoyment of opening the door before i ran into it <laughs> and or at least telling me the door was there. I may choose to run into it, which I did on occasion, of course. But right. I've kind of tried to adopt a little of that mindset, even if it's not someone that you know maybe works directly for me. But you know, anyone that I see that is learn from my own experience and journey, I, I I find a lot of I guess personal fulfillment of sharing that with those stories with them, so that you know, hopefully they. They don't make the same mistakes I did.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm curious about what you're trying to learn more about right now yourself or something you might think marketers need to be learning more about as well.
1: Uh, You know, I think the great thing about marketing is you're always have to be learning to stay current, right? Yeah. And if you're not, you're going to become a dinosaur pretty quick. But for me, so I'm always studying in that regard, Mm -hmm. but I think in a big area for, for me, and I think for all marketers is really just building your broader business acumen. Yeah, And so that's really where I'm also, you know, I spend a lot of my time, be it from, you know, financial aptitude to the top operations to other elements, you know, they all have to work synergistically to work. And so I think, and in and, and what we do as marketers affects a lot of those areas in, in, in material ways. And so boning up on that to me is, and just, Building the, the broader skill set helps you become a better, bring more value to the organization as a whole, be a better strategic thought partner across the officer suite or the director suite or wherever you are. And it just and it also just I find helps you bring ideas to fruition quickly and more effectively. But I think it's also important because I think the challenge, I think, for a lot of continuing challenge, more and more so for marketing is your ability to show value.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: And to be able to to measure it and to show the return on the investments you're asking for, and so I think those work part and parcel, right? And so yeah. I think that's a big area that uh, that I personally am trying to to keep pushing myself.
0: It feels it feels like to, you know the more you understand the levers of the business, i.e., the like business acumen in terms of where you can apply pressure. I don't want to make it sound easy because it's not, but like. The proving the value maybe become a a little easier just in conversation. I, would you agree with that? Or?
1: I think it does. I think you know your point. A lot, of, some of it's is really hard to measure.
0: Yes, absolutely. Some of it's not even worth measuring.
1: <laughs> potentially, so, but I think ultimately, having your point through the discussions, and even if you can't get it all the way to like full attribution and right full measurement of return, do you have a strong hypothesis? What are the assumptions that you're laying out? How do you measure your assumptions? Play? Like yeah. how, how far can you get it there to build the belief? And so I don't think it's necessarily always an all or nothing. I think certain areas obviously lend themselves and obviously in performance marketing and digital. I think one of the, particularly for an old Nielsen guy who loves the data geek. It's a lot of fun playing in that area because you can get to that level of fidelity. And I think that's a lot of fun but there's some areas where you may not be able to but it's get it all the way there but you can take it as far as you can at least yeah and and try to fill the gaps with as much knowledge as you can and to your point have the discussion with your team about those so it's not just to trust me this will work but let me really take you through the thinking and why i believe this will work and and how i'm going to we are at least going to be able to evaluate at the end and align on that. So when you do get there at the end, it's not a you've aligned to that in advance. So you're actually measuring it together. Yep. Versus at the end you're kind of throwing it out there and, and they haven't bought into that.
0: Right. Right.
1: I think that's to your point, that discussion goes a long way. Cause then at least you're you're looking at it the same at the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so you can measure it from a similar playing field or a similar viewpoint. Versus the way to the end, and it's you may have very different notions of how you you should have looked at the you the know, valuation of it and i I don't think that that rarely turns out to be a very effective discussion
0: right 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 well I, I've got two more marketing related questions for you um I'm curious if there's uh brands or companies or causes that you follow or you you're taking notice of or you think other people should take notice of
1: oh, that's always a tough one. <laughs> yeah I mean, there's a there's a lot of I mean one brand that I really I do look at, and it's it's not that far off in our space, but I do I look at yeti a lot and i, I I'm really impressed by them. Yeah. Um, I think you know, I lived in Austin for a couple of years when I was at Hop Daddy and so I got I was pretty close to their home base. And what I really admire about them is how consistent they stayed at their core core need state, the core thing, you know their why. but at the same point, they've managed to. Expand their, uh, grow their tent so big, and so they balance be it through color, be it through product launch, the breadth of their business, but they haven't sacrificed their core entity. You know, so often you know, you're trying to find a new audience, so you, you start getting diffused in who you are, and you say, well, we could just go this far, right? right. And it starts watering you, it down. And I think they have stayed tremendously consistent, and so they managed to do both really well. Another one I've been actually really enjoying is, uh, I don't know, have you? Uh, you ever tried athletic brewing, athletic, non-alcoholic beer?
0: No, I haven't. Oh,
1: man. You would have asked me at Miller when it was like Sharps and right. Coors and Odor- A. Odor- Odor- Odoules, Odoules, yeah. 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 Oh, they just got awful. <laughs> you know, there's obviously a big move towards, you know, people more and more are balancing either not drinking or, I mean, they balance an adult beverage, but sometimes right. you just don't want the alcohol. Yeah. And so they've built such a tremendous non-alcoholic beer. I mean, it's products <laughs> off the charts. And I think the brand they've built and where I've seen them show up. And I just think they've really been smart about how they're, they're growing it. And you know, you'd asked me five years ago, would a non-alcoholic beer be someone I'd be looking at? And I would have told you you're crazy, <laughs> <laughs> but now uh, it's, they're, they're just, it's a tremendous, but it starts just a tremendous product. It's a product. I didn't think you could get a non-alcoholic beer too. And they, they've done yeah. a, a really good job in that capacity. But then, I also think they their go to market is is pretty from what I've seen of it is is pretty sharp.
0: Nice, I gotta check them out. That, that sounds that it's sounds good. You know, you got
1: that day where you want a beer but you're not quite
0: ready for you, the you, alcohol. You're <laughs> not quite ready
1: for the booze. You just yeah. it's it's you kind of get that post lawn mowing beer, nice. in you know, and yeah, but then yeah. you're uh, you're ready to go the rest of the day. You're not tired.
0: <laughs> I like it. I like it. I have to check it out. Well, yeah. last, last question for you. What's the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers in your mind?
1: I think it goes back to a couple of questions ago. I think how you provide, how you prove value within the discipline. So mm-hmm. I think there's definitely the measurement size of marketing. You know, there's more and more of premium. And, and how do you provide value across the business and not just in the <laughs> marketing function? You know, I think we're often, you know, we're growth creators, you know, we, and so it does transcend just the marketing function and it's driving growth. Attitude and and growth strategy throughout the organization, and and, and being able to prove it. But I think the other side of it is don't is don't lose the art of it while you do it. I think it could be easy if the, the data is essential and it's important, but it's the artful side to match with the science is still critical to differentiate and to be to resonate with your customer and to tell the story that you need to tell. And so I think just the the alchemy of the two is pretty is a is a balance finding the right balance. Um, but not losing either, I think, is, is super important. And I think it's going to be a continued challenge. I mean, I can say, I think all of us are going to have an interesting year with the macro climate yeah. in 2023. And so th- it, with that, I think proving return on the investment is going to be even more of a premium. Because, mm. you know, you want, you know, we got to, every company got to be smart, really smart with the investments we have. And and everyone everyone's looking for the investment to drive strategy to grow the business. Um, but I think you've got to, you really got to be able to prove it out. Yeah. And so I think, you know, that's, I know that's not new, but I think it's, it's, I think it's just going to be a continuation that we're going to have to look at.
0: No, makes sense. Makes sense. Well, uh, Terry, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: No, thanks for having, this was, this was <laughs> a lot of fun. I love that. That was great. It's always, always good to talk to you, my friend. Always good to talk to you.
0: Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart and this is Marketing Today.